This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Zombies have taken a prominent place in pop culture today. Well, you didn't expect me to say that? We think about, we got plants versus zombies, the walking dead. I mean, there's movies, TV shows, video games. I mean, Disney's got a zombie musical, I think. We see that as fiction. Funny, interesting, maybe. Imagine with me the picture of what that would be like in real life. A reanimated corpse, the sight of decomposing flesh, the smell of decay, the sound of the obsession with brains. I want to ask you to take that picture with you as we study Romans chapter 6. Yes? An interesting picture, yet when we consider what Paul's talking about, pretty relevant. He's, He's... going to be telling us how important our new life in Christ is, helping us understand the value of what we've been given and reminding his readers and us not to step back into the old way of life, that old sinful self that died. It's going to challenge us to think about why we would go back and try and bring that old dead self back that's been corrupted by sin. Why would we want to continue that when we could have this? We're going to begin in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn there. We'll read together. The words will be on the screen. You can also use the YouVersion app. Search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes there. Here's how Paul began. What shall we say then? Oh, wait. What shall we say then about what? Let's look back to, to chapter 5, the preceding Framework to understand exactly where we're going with Paul at this point. He's been talking to the believers through his letter to the Romans about the, the damage that sin does, the corruption that's brought on by sin, the fact that sin is something in common that we all have, have shared in. And also, we all have in common our need for grace, our need for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he's been very specifically urging the Jewish Christians to let go of the system of law that they've been devoted to and understand their need for grace. He wrapped up chapter 5 with these words, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now verse 1, what shall we say then? Sin increased, grace increased all the more. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Questions that, I mean, we read through these questions and we think this isn't relevant. How how could someone seriously ask this question? Shall we keep sinning so grace can can happen more? That's not even worth answering, is it? Well, think about 
Paul's audience. Think about these Jewish Christians who have been brought up to obey the law, who are trying to attain their own righteousness, be good enough for God through their obedience to this law that they've memorized since they were kids. Paul has been saying to them, leave behind that system of law. It's not going to help. If you break it at any time throughout your life, you will be in need of grace. So let go of your dependence on that and trust the grace of Jesus Christ. And so those Jewish Christians were saying, well, okay, if we have to leave that system behind, then what should we do? If we're no longer bound to the law, then should we just sin and let grace overcome all of that? They had questions, relevant questions about what to do now. And it makes a little bit more sense when we consider their situation that the system of law would not bring about their righteousness. That grace is what brings about righteousness. And while grace breaks them free from the system of law, it doesn't mean that they can completely leave law behind. There's still a need for them to be obedient to the Lord. And it's grace that enables them to live in obedience, to grow in their ability to be faithful to God. And then we start to think, for those who are striving to live for the Lord, we need the reminder to leave sin in the past. We need to be reminded of how important it is for us when we turn away from sin, when we we let that old sinful self die, to move away from that and to continue on in faithfulness and not go back and try and reanimate that old sinful self, not try and live in the in the corruption, in the degradation, in the disgusting state that sin leaves us in, but to leave it behind so that we can live for the Lord and surrender to his righteousness. How can we even consider living in sin any longer when we've been set free? We think about how we talked last week about Christ sacrificing himself to set us free from sin. Why would we go back to that place that that Christ paid the ultimate price to set us free from? Why would we return to that life when, when Christ met us in our helplessness, in our hopelessness, while we were still sinners? Christ died for us, what we read in Romans chapter five. Why, when we've been given a lifeline out of of that condition, would we return back is what Paul is asking. Those who have died, how can we live in it any longer? We need to let our sinful self die. And we also need to let sin die to us. You're dead to me. Let it, let it go. No longer be drawn to experience it. No longer be, be interested in what that experience is. Maybe you've experienced a deadening of your senses before. You've been at a concert for a couple of hours, rocking out, and you you go out into the parking lot and try and have a conversation. You have to shout back and forth because your hearing is affected. Your, Your sense has been deadened. Maybe you've had your your taste buds deadened because you burned your mouth. Maybe you've had an experience like I have. You have a cup of coffee, working, take a sip, work. A couple hours go by, you don't realize it. And your coffee's getting cold, maybe a third of the cup left. You think, I would, I'd really need to refresh, get a hot cup of coffee, be great. And so I take a long drink of that last bit of coffee. 
go and fill up my cup, start working again, pick up my cup to take a drink. And I drink again like I did when the coffee was cold. (sighs) It hurts. And it deadens my taste buds. Maybe you've experienced what I have with pizza rolls. I was raised to love pizza rolls. They're fantastic. You put them in the oven, and the perfect time to take them out is right before they pop. If if, if they're oozing, it's too late. You have to get them out right before that. You have to watch. It's very, very specific. And then you have to set them and let them rest and cool. That is the most difficult part of eating pizza rolls. But it's crucial. I usually will pick one up by the corners, because that's where it's safe to touch a pizza roll, and blow on the outside. Until I think, okay, it's cool. Touch it, put it in my mouth. There's no pain, it's good. And then when you bite into a pizza roll and the liquid hot magma squirts all over your mouth, it is, it is mouth trauma. And there's no going back. Once you bite, it's over. It doesn't matter what else you have to eat. You have a steak sitting there, a milkshake. You're eating just for sustenance at that point because you can't taste anything. Your senses have been deadened by that experience. Maybe you've been to a dentist, had a cavity filled, and they shoot you with Novocaine. I've had a few. They warn you after that not to eat right away because you could bite your tongue or the inside of your cheek and really cause damage. You can't feel it. Your senses have been deadened. That's that's the picture of what we need to let sin become to us. We need to let our, our senses towards sin become deadened. That we're no longer drawn to that sensation. We're no longer drawn by that desire. It's dead to us. We need to let it stay. Paul invited his readers to consider this situation for their spiritual lives. It's a very pertinent question. How? How can you go on living in sin when you have died to sin? Why go back to that? When we die to sin, we need to leave it behind. Behind, Leave that sinful part of ourselves and allow that deadening to take place and not let temptation to sin have power over us any longer. No longer let it have an appeal to our senses. Paul continued describing this this place. Verse 3, he says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is the beautiful picture of what baptism is, a participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. And really, baptism unites us with Christ in his death and resurrection is what Paul says. Through this process, we are made new. We allow our old sinful self to be buried under the water of baptism. And we leave that old sinful self behind. When we are brought back up out of that water, we're raised to live a new life in him. Now, ordinarily, we think about the death of Christ. We think about his blood that was shed. We think about the forgiveness and grace poured out for forgiveness. Yes. But when we participate with Christ in his death, That sinful self dies. That that peace of us, we can leave behind forever. And when we participate in this resurrection, we are made new by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, made new to live a new life, to walk 
in a new life. Striving for obedience. Striving for holiness. Living in it. Having our senses awakened to this new life. A new possibility. This phrase, united with Christ, helps us to understand this process, specifically in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ. United with him. Through baptism, we enter into a relationship. We've been set free, no longer slaves. One of the songs we sing on our, in our worship time regularly is called No Longer Slaves, recognition of the power of God that delivers us. Based on the words from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We celebrate the freedom that comes to us through Christ, freedom that breaks the power of fear and sin, sets us free to live for the Lord. But we recognize, even in that freedom, temptation and sin all around us. Pressure, attacking, tempting. We're no longer slaves. Though we may once have been, no longer We've changed. We've been changed. We're set free to live a new life. Verse 8, Paul continues, If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but he, the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, you're under grace. And because of that grace, we've been set free from sin. That's what Christ died for. He died to set us free. When he chose to sacrifice his life on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He took the punishment that we deserved and paid it for us. When he was raised to new life, he conquered sin and death. There's a finality to that statement. Conquered. Once and for all. He left it behind. And we need to do the same. But recognize the, the danger that we face. The warning that's here, that even though we have been set free, it's possible for us to return to that old way of life. It's possible for us to walk back into that cell that we were imprisoned in. Even though the, the lock has been sprung, even though the bars have been broken, we, we go back and we sit down in that cell and we close the door when we return to sin. We choose captivity, slavery to sin. But we also need to recognize that it's possible for us to leave that sinful self behind, to live in the new life provided to us by the power of Christ, to no longer be a slave to sin, but instead empowered. We can live a new life in him, trusting him to help deliver us continually from the presence of temptation and the draw towards sin. 
We're a new creation in Christ, made alive so we can live for God. This valuable, valuable advice that we get from Paul, to live for the Lord, to deaden our senses to sin and awaken our senses to the righteousness of God that we're called to live in. Not to abuse our newfound freedom by running right back to that old sinful way of life. The sin that brought about our need for salvation. Now that we have it, we need to enjoy the freedom that comes with it. But it's a constant decision that we have to make. A recognition of the the vigilance, the, the care that we need to take in our lives to recognize the power of temptation the danger of sin, so that we can continue to live for him. And Paul says to us, don't offer any part of your body. Yeah, you understand not to live in sin, but don't even, don't even let a piece of you be claimed. Sin will will have a foothold and take more and more of your life. Jesus said something similar. Gospel, he said, if any part of your body is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it in the fire. That's severe. That's extreme. And yet, that's the danger we face when we give even a part of ourselves to sin. Maybe you've heard the story of poachers trying to capture monkeys in the wild. Curious, clever, quick little creatures. They had such a terrible time. And they came up with this plan. They drove a stake into the ground and tied a coconut to the stake. They hollowed out the coconut and left a hole just big enough for the monkey to put its hand in. And they put food inside the coconut, set it out, and walked away, watched. And the monkeys came, smelled the food. They came to, to look at what was in there. And they reached in and took hold of that tempting fruit. And when they grabbed that, their fist was bigger than their hand going in the hole. And they couldn't get their hand free. And they were unwilling to let go of what they had been tempted by. And they struggled And eventually, exhausted, gave up and sat. And the poachers walked up and just dropped a net on them. Captured because of the temptation they succumbed to. When we submit to temptation in our lives, we surrender a part of our body to sin. It takes hold of us. We're trapped by the power of the sin. What does it mean for us to give a, a part of our body to sin? Well, in the same encouragement that Jesus gave to his listeners. What, what part of you is it that's bringing about temptation? What part of you is it that's causing you to sin? Is it your eyes? Do you look around and see things that you want, that you desire? Are you driven by those desires, by those lusts? Are you surrendering your eyes to sin? Do you look at another person's life and become jealous of who they are and what they have? Are you driven by your want to have their recognition and fame? Are you driven by jealousy because of their house or their car or their family? When you are, you've given your heart to to sin. Do you look at another person, anger and frustration, and allow paranoia to to begin twisting that person in your mind and you start tearing them down? You've surrendered your mind to sin. Instead of offering a part of our body to sin, Paul encourages us to surrender all of who we are to God as instruments for righteousness, to give him the right to take hold of us, to surrender us, 
like a hammer in the hands of a craftsman who will build an elaborate piece of furniture, like a paintbrush in the hand of an artist, creating beautiful landscape, a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon, helping someone overcome illness, like a violin in the hands of a musician, creating beautiful music. We become instruments in the hands of God. And by his power, he uses us to bring about righteousness in the world around us, to bring about righteousness in our lives. We become instruments in his hand. When we surrender ourselves to him, no longer instruments for sin. Verse 15, Paul continues, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. He brings this question back up, emphasizing how important this is. Don't you know, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have Become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been set free from sin, and we are now free to truly live for the Lord. No longer captives, no longer forced to submit. We have been set free so that we can choose who to serve. Jesus John chapter 8 said this, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Paul's day, it was common for people to give themselves in service to another person. When they found themselves deeply in debt, when they couldn't figure out how to, how to pay their bills, they could choose willful slavery and submit to a master. And all of his listeners would have easily understood this idea. That's why he used an example from everyday life of what it means to choose to become a slave. As Paul wrote about this situation, he called us to the significance of the decision that's made between sin and obedience. that we would recognize that what we choose in the course of our lives is a willful decision that we make with our minds purposefully and then fulfill with our actions deliberately. We cannot blame our circumstances, our surroundings, the people around us. We can't blame God. We are responsible for the decisions we make when we surrender ourselves to sin, when we choose slavery to sin. It is a choice that we make and a thing that we do. When we choose to surrender ourselves to God is a decision that we make and an action that we perform. It is our decision and our choice made possible by the power of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we have to own that. The blame, the credit, the results of our decision. 
They belong to us. But Paul is very clear about the, what will come about because of that decision. What we can expect to happen when we surrender ourselves to sin. The wages of sin is death. But when we choose this new life in Christ, this relationship with the Lord, the gift of God is eternal life in him. And the question we face is, is a question of allegiance. Who will we choose to surrender ourselves to? Where will we place our allegiance? When Joshua led the people of Israel after Moses died, he led them into the promised land, conquering people that were there. And it when Joshua was close to death, he called the people together to encourage them in their relationship with the Lord. He reminded them of their past, of the damage of the decisions that they had made and their fathers had made, their ancestors, and worshiping other gods in Egypt, the influence of temptation of the people around them. And he called the people of God to make a decision. He said, to fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A choice of allegiance who we will serve, who we will worship, is up to us. It's a choice that's been made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the decision we are faced with today calls us to think about where we want to place our allegiance. And as we come to a time of invitation, I want to challenge you to think about the decisions that you need to make about your relationship with the Lord. Do you need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you need to be united with him through baptism and be ushered into this new life? Do you, as a Christian, need to finally let go of that old self that you've been hanging on to? Leave the corruption of sin behind, that old sinful self, let it die and fully step into the new life that has been provided for you. If you have a decision to make this morning about your relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing. If there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, you can do the same. Would you please stand?